Annie O'Hanna, welcome, welcome, uh, social activist, uh, many, many hats that you wear, uh, and, and a great uh, contributor to uh, the well-being and uh, the social causes uh, for all communities in the Lower Mainland and uh, throughout the province. So thank you again, Annie. And uh, please do, um, I, I, just to, to share with the audience of how we connected, uh, I, I saw you in a very dynamic way uh, organizing uh, this large event uh, a few years back, which was a counter protest to white nationalists. I believe it was Soldiers of Odin, yeah. and they were espousing uh, anti-immigrant, uh, anti you know, visible minorities and you know, anti-Muslim, Jewish, uh, all that negativity. And uh, so interestingly enough, I was on my way to the, the gathering mm. and, uh, and I thought, I'm going to pop into the Starbucks and grab a coffee. And all of the white supremacists were there. So they were, they were basically, because right. of the work that you did, the crowd that came to this yeah. city hall yeah. were thousands. So it mm. basically dwarfed their kind of thing. There's like maybe yeah. 10 of them, five of them. They were kind of, I guess, crying in their, their coffee. And, uh, and, and I got to say what, what you pulled off was amazing. So please let's, let's maybe, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and maybe mm. even talk about how this that event happened just just to yeah. give the audience a, an idea of how it all came together. Absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, I'm an educator. And, and I think that's where I'll, I'll leave it at that, right? That that I, I'm lucky to work in the public school system uh, in Surrey, BC, LA Maps and Secondary, go Mustangs. Uh, and, and through my work, so I'm an anti-oppression educator. Um, I, I have a master's in equity studies. Uh, and I have a background in criminology and political science. And, and I've done various things throughout the years. Uh, one of the big things I do believe is an empowerment and mentorship through identity and, and using the youth voice to teach them more about you know, justice and transformative justice and, and ways of serving towards justice uh, instead of just thinking of charity or, or kind of um, more like white savior dynamics, kind of going well above and beyond that. And, and that is the goal uh, in what I teach and how I teach. And, and even in, um, in my background, being a Sephardic a Jewish woman uh, who's white passing, uh, who's a first generation settler uh, on, on the unceded territories today of, of the Kwantlen, Katsi, and Semiamu peoples. Um, so in terms of the rally in 2017, it, it really came about within a week, believe it or not. It, that was how quick it, it, it occurred. Um, what happened was that, uh, so I, I'm a teacher, so I belong to the BC Teachers Federation, which is our, our union here in BC. And our summer conference where we get training as leaders was canceled due to the fires that were, you know, just raging across BC. And the air quality was so bad in Kamloops that they were forced to cancel the entire retreat. And so at the same time, we were getting word about this counter rally, uh, sorry, this rally that was supposed to happen at City Hall. And uh, this was on the, you know, on the tail of uh, Charlotte's, uh, Charlottesville in the States where a young woman had, had lost her life um, and where Donald Trump, who was president at the time, had commented on the fact that um, all of these white supremacist elements that had gathered in that town were, quote, good people. So, you know, now we know how bad it got, but, but that was, you know, really when, you know, the heat was starting to rise on, on a lot of the very overt physically violent white supremacy. Like I wanna make clear, like we know we're in a white supremacist system. Uh, it's a settler colonial state, all of this, you know, we understand. But this idea that this president 
wouldn't even use the term racism, uh, would not even identify the groups across North America that were clearly active uh, in promoting hatred and carrying out acts of terror uh, throughout North America. You know, this was a new level for those of us, you know, of the last several generations who maybe had not been part of the civil rights movement or the Jim Crow era. This was new to us. So what happened was uh, about 10 or so folks, a lot of us teachers, uh, and then some other community members, the Peace Bears, et cetera, uh, we all got together and it, it really did grow very quickly. We put together an intersectional list of speakers um, from, from all types of communities. And, and yes, and then on that, and then we got a lot of support very quickly from the mayor who was open to us um, protesting at City Hall uh, and even the prime minister. And that was very much a catalyst in terms of how many people learned about you know, the protest. And yes, we did dwarf them. It was interesting that I did get word of, yeah, they're at the Starbucks, they're on the, the ferry, but they were very small in number. Um, there was a lot of fear. You know, We could have had even more. And it was just the fear of, wow, this happened so quickly. Am I really safe if I go, if I wear a hijab, if I wear a kippah, whatever, uh, if I show you know, who I am. Um, you know, and, and so we did our very best and thankfully everything went uh, quite well. Um, policing in terms of VPD, uh, there were some issues, but overall, um, certainly we were allowed to carry forward uh, with, our, uh, with our entire event. Uh, it's interesting to note that that was the first time you know, as a teacher that I got a death threat. So wow. when, yeah, so when we were, we were at a waves like on Maine and, um, and, and Hastings and, uh, or sorry, Camby and Hastings, I think that would be anyways, something like that. And uh, we were about to head up to city hall and uh, on Facebook comes this message of, uh, you know, I, something like, I, I hope, uh, I hope you get shot at your own rally. And it wow. was fascinating. So all of a sudden, it was interesting to see a cocoon develop in terms of, okay, those of us that are kind of at the front of this need to be very careful. So it was fascinating to see, but it was amazing. And honestly, since then, just that one rally, the amount of connections that were made um, has been amazing. And, and the solidarity has not ended uh, from that day. And, and, and I saw your leadership on full display there, uh, putting it all together and it was thousands. It was, it was like the city hall was just, it was a peaceful protest. There were thousands of people that were there. And, it, and, and again, as, as somebody uh, that's uh, born and raised in BC myself and, and, and uh, uh, lives in Vancouver, loves the city of Vancouver, just made me again, proud of our, our kind of multiculturalism and, and this type of uh, outpouring that in Vancouver, uh, our folks here say no not on our watch this is not who we are exactly and and just to be clear i was i was one of many organizers right and and, and i think everybody contributed something amazing and that's what made it incredible um i i certainly was not afraid to talk to the elements that clearly were not very friendly i was even told to stop doing that because i was just kind of you know taking away energy right and just kind of uh giving it to people that that would not agree with us no matter what but you're right and i think that is very, that is very key to the understanding of the diversity that we have here. To me, diversity means you can have a lot of different opinions, um, different faith practices, all kinds of things. But when it comes down to human rights, that is something we stand up and, and clearly make sure that it's a, that is at the forefront. And no matter how many of them there were, 
in terms of them physically showing up, we were not going to let them uh, take away that sense of, you know, that safe space, that public space. We know the reality. We know the amounts of hate, hate crime and hate speech and, and microaggressions and, and just how much of it is underreported. Uh, the majority of it is not reported to police. So, you know, yeah, it was small in number, but we know they know that they think they have power. And so what else can we do but really take a stand when such individuals come forward? Um, at the end of the day, um, we didn't shut anybody down. It was that there were many of us who wanted to speak. And, and just by being there, maybe you didn't get the mic, but just by being there, that was your chance to, you know, to be a resident, a citizen, however, the status of what you want in, your, in this country, that you have the right to that space just as much as anybody else. But the fact that our human rights codes, our criminal code, everything is very clear about the type of language and the vitriol that they spew. And that is in fact illegal and is considered a hate crime under our very own charter. Absolutely. And and really, uh, I, I think you did actually invite our community represented by Haroon and Haroon yeah. did speak. He spoke very well. And I, I thought he, he, he really delivered a great message. And then also um, the Black Lives Matter uh, representative. I, I really enjoyed uh, his talk and uh, and yeah, all of the speakers and how it came together and Really, it was it was and it was a beautiful day. And mm -hmm. so the, the, the way everyone came together uh, in, in that way, I, I really, really appreciated everybody that helped put that together. And so thank you, Annie, for for being part of that team and being a leader. Yeah. And like I said, it's beautiful to see the solidarity since then. We've seen incredible the sustainability teams, right? 150,000. Uh, Black Lives Matter over many years now, but but you know especially over last summer uh, and so many more. You know, Women's March, which I've been involved with, like just it's endless. It's it's almost sad when you consider how much marching we need to do. But at the same time, uh, it is a beautiful sight to see because I think we're so disjointed at times and violence, and especially in terms of discrimination and and, and white supremacy and those kinds of anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Uh, can be very isolating, can be very ostracizing. So I think just watching those things happen, whether you can participate or not, um, is hopefully a sign that we are there, we, we can make a stand and, and hopefully speak to the powers that be, because they are, you know, they are the ones that should be making the changes at that systemic level. Absolutely. And, and Annie, just on a personal level, because obviously we, we come with our, our, our history and our upbringing and our, our motivations. What brought you to this uh, passion for, for the work that you do in, in social justice and inclusivity and multiculturalism? What, what, what brought you uh, this passion? What, what inspired you to, to, to do what you do? Yeah, it's, um, there's so much, uh, you know, first of all, uh, being of Jewish faith, um, I, I, I grew up in a very progressive household and, but also the reality that, so my family's Moroccan by origin, but I have many relatives who live in, in Israel proper. And, and I want to make this very clear. I fully support Palestinian rights and Palestinian sovereignty and, and all of that. Um, but, you know, having been, unfortunately, uh, seeing violence around our world, 
uh, that was predicated on, you know, occupation and, 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 and you know, really horrific anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and, and continual white supremacy, uh, I, I was allowed to learn that at a very early age. Um, being in a family of color, most of my relatives are, are quite uh, dark skinned um, and seeing what they had to go through. Uh, I went to high school in the United States in, in Southern Florida. Uh, I was born in Montreal. Um, all of those things kind of built up at a very young age. And then very early on, wanting to know the truth, uh, being more of a questioner. And, and then as I entered university, I, I was very much mindful of perhaps heading into law. Um, and so going through learning about the legal system and seeing the problems within that legal system. And I remember something very key. Uh, I was in high school in South Florida and I was introduced to Howard Zinn. Um, I was very lucky. I had some very progressive teachers. I was in a military program as well, believe it or not, uh, the JROTC, which is like the Defense Department's uh, military program, as it were. And um, learning about Rwanda. And as a Jew thinking, wait a minute, you're telling me that in 1994, as I, as I was just leaving middle school, that no one told me this, that I don't remember it being a major news story. And then, and then finding out once I returned to Canada, the role that Canada had to play through General Romeo Dallaire um, and realizing that there is so much hidden truth. There, is so, there are so many stories that are never told, that are never highlighted, and that there is a system behind that, that it's not just one bad apple here or there. So taking criminology, political science, and then as I enter teaching, very much focusing on anti-oppression and social justice and, and transformative notions of justice is, is what brought me to the work. Um, I am very lucky to hold many privileges, uh, but also having had many, you know, not privileges, uh, but also having some power that came with being an educator and, and really being mindful that what can I do uh, to push forward justice? It, maybe it's a very small way, but it's gonna be something. Um, and and I've always, that's always been what has driven me. Um, and yes, and I think that the more we act in solidarity, the more intersectional we are, uh, especially as a Jew, really connecting the dots between Islamophobia and anti-Semitism, you know, the two sides of the same coin, uh, indigenous rights being absolutely massive in terms of being on unceded territory and, and the genocide that took place on these lands. All these things are actually part and parcel of the same problem. So that, that's my passion. Um, and I love seeing students rise up to that and adults rise up to that and, and showing them that they need not feel that they are powerless or when they're told, well, you know, it's too big of a problem or let the politicians deal with it. Um, I don't believe that. I've never believed that. I will never believe that. Um, I think it's up to us to, to truly step forward and, and hold our leadership accountable when our lives you know, are, are the ones that are at risk. Agreed. And uh, you know, there's a quote, uh, those that aren't interested in politics deserve who they're ruled by. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and for the work that, that you do and, and all of us that, 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 that speak for human rights, uh, that we, we have to make our efforts. We can't just think it's going to happen. By the way, we can see injustices. We can see uh, inequities. We can see racism. And if we're not standing up to get our, our voice heard, then, then it's just going to keep going. And uh, we had our uh, Islamophobia Memorial on, on Friday, and you were a guest. Thank you for joining. And, uh, and please let us know from your perspective, uh, as you, you 
kind of saw some of the speakers, the young uh, woman that spoke about her experiences with, with hijab and, and what have you. So I think a lot of folks that, that may not necessarily see uh, the impact of, of how discrimination and how one we look physically can can impact how others treat us. And I thought what she said was very powerful. And maybe if, if you could just give us your perspective of, based on the discussion, what your your perceptions and maybe some some insights that you got that you may may have not had prior to going into this. Yeah, and uh, thank you thank you for putting together such a such a potent and powerful event. And uh, and you know I remember that that night that day. And um, actually at our school, uh, what we had done, and, and I thank the principal at the time for allowing me to do this, we put together a lesson plan, like literally that night. And I had students very quickly draw up some ribbons as well. And then all of our classes took time to speak about uh, the, the Quebec mosque that was attacked, uh, why it was attacked, uh, the, the deeper background of, of the Islamophobia that, that we were seeing daily, uh, because I teach in a majorly Black, Indigenous, person of color school. Um, and so many of our students that, that are hijabed or not, uh, that belong to the Muslim faith, you know, we're going through a very difficult time, as well as obviously uh, all those of us that, that really are, are connected to the notion of um, things other than Christianity. Um, and not that Christians obviously didn't care, but, but just being mindful that in our environment, most of us had experienced that kind of microaggression to the point of you know, terrorist attack before, that this was not new to us, unfortunately. So you know, that, that was you know, kind of how we took on that um, because we had this power to do so as an institution to really stop what we were doing and to truly focus on what was a, a major wound uh, for Canada on that night. Um, the event that was held on Friday was supremely powerful because, especially when the Mufti spoke in terms of the keynote and everybody else, not to leave anybody behind, the dedication to understand um, the level of trauma that that violence caused, and as we saw through some of the speakers, the continued realities, uh, again, from the very small microaggression where someone might say, you know, where are you from, uh, all the way up to physical violence of of having your hijab torn off, and and we and you know, and especially under COVID, we've seen recent realities of of folks of Asian heritage, or or they are thought to be Asian, you know, facing you know uh, quite um, uh, brutal attacks on sky trains and and just in on street on streets. Um, what was powerful to me, and something that really I kept thinking about, was that movement forward. So there were so many speakers that out of that event have done more, have taken more action. Uh, the recent commemoration and the designation of January 29th nationally, you know, as a day of commemoration, you know, what does that actually mean? And, and as the Mufti spoke about the reality of, you know, how we treat each other, how we look at, you know, how we deal with things as the oppressed, but also towards the oppressor and how we bring about that change that is needed, that dialogue, that, that need to listen. And, and to me, I tend to be more systemic in how I view things. Um, again, being mindful of the voices of our indigenous, uh, of indigenous communities, of indigenous nations, of, of black Canadians, um, of, of people of color that routinely point out the systemic realities here. And that we cannot just change one person. That, that is naive to think, you know, if we only change one time or one incident, it needs to be systemic. So to me, I walked away out of Friday 
with a renewed sense of, of dedication to looking at how do we bridge that gap? How do we build those dialogues with folks that they get power from the system? And it's funny how always we minoritize. We tend to think of, you know, we, you know we, there's a term race card uh, in terms of, you know, don't use the race card. And in, in all the work I've done and the research and, and, and the solidarity work, one thing I've realized is that there's one card we very rarely talk about, and that is the white card. And, and what I mean by that is that in a system that is Eurocentric, in a system that many of us who are speaking to uh, different realities will face obstacles, that it's not always, you know, we are not always believed, um, you know, we are not always protected, that we, we don't take enough time to realize that you know, fighting for one cause or fighting against one person is not enough because there's this much larger reality there that, well, we elevate certain things. Um, and we need to point that out and to do so in a way that isn't meant to attack. I, I never mean to attack anyone, but to me, as someone who is white passing, as someone who, if I don't say I'm Jewish, maybe people might not realize, although it's interesting to note that many people do realize, but anyways, um, but the reality that I know I have power. I know that I have unearned privilege. So when I speak to people that might see that as an attack against their roots, against their own lived experience, all I can say is that, but oppression comes forward in many ways. We all have prejudice, all of us, that there's always a way that we are conditioned that allows us to think about things, no matter the color of our skin, uh, our lived experience, we know this to be true. But at the same time, I want people to be superheroes. I want people to use that sense of dialogue, that sense of love and that sense of humanity that the Mufti spoke about to actually think about ways that, well, then how can I use my position? Maybe it's making space. Maybe it's not always being the one that speaks out. Uh, in terms of like, you know, being invited in. Can I bring someone else along with me? Um, even through social media, are there campaigns or stories or people that deserve highlighting that rarely get that highlighting? So speaking to things like Islamophobia and the fact that we do face this violence against our Muslim community, we need to think bigger. We protect everyone. We certainly empower victims that feel powerless or do not get justice through our justice system. But at the same time, like in, you know, it's like a two forked approach, you know, we do that, but we also go towards that systemic change to not fear rising up and saying, you know, what are we doing as a nation in our schools to actually address those issues, not just in a negative way, don't be Islamophobic, but also the positive way. How do we celebrate Muslim experiences? How do we celebrate faiths of all kinds so that we have less of that misunderstanding, which is something else that was brought up on Friday as well. It, absolutely. And, and, and you said uh, earlier, uh, you know, some of these comments like, where are you from? And uh, so uh, my family, Haroon, we're, uh, both of us are cousins, were originally from, uh, so historically India, but Pakistan uh, uh, since partition. Yeah. But our grandfather and great grandfather came in 1904 from India and at that time, and they came by boat. Uh, they docked in Aberdeen, Washington, mm. and uh, settled in, in Canada, and then back and forth from 
from the homeland to uh, to 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 the west coast. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, wherever I go, and people say, "Hey, where are you from?" I was like, "I'm from Canada," and they're like, "No, no, really, where are you from?" I was yeah. like, "I'm from Canada." So it's like an automatic assumption because, again, with the beard, the color complexion, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, people have a, a perception of how a Canadian should look. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. And then you brought up in the school context. Um, so just just for me, I, I'm dating myself. I'm in my mid 40s, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> So I was grade 10 when the first Gulf War happened. Right. And and at that moment, uh, I don't think many people knew what Islam or Muslims were, but uh, Saddam, uh, again, was the enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it was a, a discussion in, in grade 10 social studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the topic was, is this a just war? And uh, so everybody seemed to be pro-war. And I just said the obvious. I said, Saddam may be a bad guy, but men, women, and children that have nothing to do with him are going to get killed because of this bombardment that's going to happen. Yep. And I felt I was the lone voice. And I felt, wow, I, I really felt, you know, this injustice is going to happen on people. They may not even get Saddam, but the regular people are going to suffer. That That's even as a kid, I, it just seemed common sense to me. And I didn't even know much about my faith or religion at that time either. And so fast forward to, uh, uh, you know, the late 90s, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, and then September 11th. Mm-hmm. And then even my own spiritual journey, I realized, uh, you know, reading the scripture and, you know, getting to understand uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, many parallels, many uh, similar teachings. And then uh, when when something like September 11th happens, then all of a sudden, now people are like, again, with visible Muslims that, that whether they wear the hijab or you know, with darker skins, even Sikh people would be, be mistaken for, for Muslim and get attacked. And so then it became very real, very apparent. And it was like the drumbeats of media. Uh, as soon as a Muslim was mentioned, there's an explosion. It was like a, a neuro-linguistic programming, image, emotion, and, and words uh, kind of tied together in a way to, to formulate a social engineering to make a, a whole group to be perceived in a very negative way, where again, you know, 1.6, 1.8 billion people in the world today, if there's like, you know, uh, Ku Klux Klan doesn't speak for all Christians and uh, extremists don't speak for the majority, but that's just the way the perception was. And so as a result, now uh, regular people, again, I would say on a human level, no matter what religion or race or color, everyone's just worried about, we want to take care of our families. We want our career. We want uh, work that we enjoy. We want to 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 be prosperous. That's the majority of everybody. But extremists of all types, they want to break it all down. They want to cra- they want to crash. They want they want to slash and burn. And 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 uh, and even these extremists. And I think a lot of folks are not aware, like uh, extreme groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda. The, the actual majority of the victims are, are Muslims. And yeah. uh, so, yeah. so all of these things are, are, are things that uh, what, the, what, the, what, the, what uh, Hiba, who was speaking, was saying when she walks out the door, yeah. I don't have her experience because I'm six foot five, you know, big guy. I, nobody generally will approach me in, in, in that way. It has happened, but, but, but generally speaking. But for somebody who's five foot five, maybe hijab and maybe somebody may not look somebody may look at her and think okay this is somebody i can bully i can i can say something to and not not get uh, harm back and so in that way we're seeing in a school context and i've heard this from muslim students 
that uh, microaggressions and, and even comments like, uh, you know, somebody has a job or you have a, a bomb in there or you're a terrorist or you're Osama bin Laden or whatever it is. So these, you know, teasing. So it's like there's bullying. Historically, there's always been bullying. But now to add this component that you are some sort of extremist, you are just by your, your, your the name or, or your appearance. And in the school context, what are your thoughts based on the school context of this type of bullying? Yeah, let, let's tie all this together. I, I, I love everything you just said and, and, and the reality, that depth you went to of that social conditioning. Um, so we're looking at thousands of years of this. I remember you know, learning in university, uh, unfortunately reading the documents of, of the Cheneys and the Rumsfelds and the Wolfowitz of the world that would later become leaders uh, in the United States that would lead to the, to, to the Afghani war and the Iraqi war, right? Um, and, and seeing this all play out in front of me completely horrified um, because of the realities of, of that depth of, of that, that white Christian model of you know this war of worlds right uh which is again many, many just like anti-semitism is thousands of years old so too is islamophobia um so number one is that from an educator standpoint needing to understand that different students will have different experiences and for those of us that belong uh whether that is to islam or judaism or sikhism or hinduism and, and the list goes on that we have more of an understood reality of that systemic oppression and of that daily reality of having to live through comments. Yeah, sometimes quote unquote jokes, um, which are highly problematic. Uh, you know, it's not about the intention, it's the perception that actually matters there. Uh, and so if we don't address it from that context, already we're causing harm. I think it is harmful to say as a teacher, you know, we're in a multicultural Canada and, and that's good. And you know, you, you can celebrate this over here and you celebrate that over there and that's all there is to it. But if we don't go further into you know, what our, our students are facing on a daily basis, if we aren't willing to address the very real reality that you, know, you kind of stopped around you know, the early 2000s, why did we have a Muslim ban for the past four years in the United States? You know, that, that, that's, that's terrifying. Um, that, that we are still at the point that we have yet to even go beyond that very um, vitriolic um, hate-based idea that I judge someone based on their passport, color of their skin, what they wear, who they pray to. So we need to bring forward these conversations and not be afraid to do so. I think as an educator, as an education system, we cannot be neutral. Neutrality, and many people have said things like this, you know, if you are neutral, uh, Desmond Tutu being, you know, one that comes to mind, if you are neutral in situations of oppression, then you are complicit in that oppression. So as educators, we cannot stand idly by. Do we see everything? No. And, and I think that's where we need to create environments for our students where they know it is okay to come forward to say, I'm not comfortable in this situation. Because especially with the internet and cyberbullying, we don't catch it all. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm 38, I'll date myself too. Um, I, you know, the internet was around when I was in high school, but it wasn't at, at this peak that it's at where, you know, it was in your home every single second. It wasn't in your mind every single second of every single day. But we have now, and many kids have said this, 
you know, the school might, might be, you know, a place where, you know, there might be that safe room. There might be that one teacher you can talk to. And so there, there's a little bit of, of an ability. I'm not saying schools are safe or, cause I know everybody has a different experience. We try, but I don't think we always succeed, but you can't turn off that phone necessarily. Those messages will still come. Those memes, those, the, the trends we see. Um, I, I'm horrified at some of the trends about you know some of the jokes about Jewish people out there um, because knowing teaching kids that are not I'm the only Jewish person in my entire school so a lot of folks have never been to a synagogue uh, might not know a lot of other Jewish people and so they just go by what society tells them and sadly it, it can be a very uh, rude incomplete um, quite frankly at times anti-Semitic uh, view. And, and I know that my, that, that, that my Muslim brethren, you know, exactly the same thing. Um, and, and to that even higher peak, because yes, uh, in terms of Judaism, you know, we still can, you know, we connect back to like the Old Testament and things of that nature. And, and there are those of us with more privilege and, and more power. So I want to make that clear. Um, but at the same time, you know, that, that same kind of violence. So we need to label it as violence. We need stronger anti-racism policies. We need teachers who are anti-racist in their pedagogy and their approach to teaching. I don't use most of the textbooks provided to me because I feel they are incomplete. They are still written from a white Eurocentric perspective and they don't actually recognize the value the, of humanity. They don't recognize the contributions that, that many, many different uh, communities have made to, uh, to, to Turtle Island and, and to the state we call Canada. Um, and so it does take an activist approach, no doubt. And we know there are folks that are against that, even in the lower mainland. But all I can say is that if I, as a teacher, need to tell a parent that their child is safe at school, that's all, safe. I'm not putting gender to that. I'm not putting religion to that. I'm not pulling skin color to that. I am using the word safe in terms of violence, right? So I don't know if you wanna put a policing context on it, whatever. But the idea of safety is paramount to me as a teacher. I need to make sure my students are safe in this building and I can guarantee that every single parent wants their child to be safe at school. That any abrogation of that safety is very much problematic and, and teachers and districts and Ministry of Education need to be held accountable when that safety is not there. So that's where I'm coming from. If I wanna create a safe environment, then I need to be activist in the way that I teach, what I teach about and what I allow to exist in my space. So if students are joking about a hijab or anything for that matter, you know, I need to speak to that. I need to make sure that it is spoken to. We are not perfect at all. I, I, you know, and, and I think we all have those blind spots and not realizing but that's why we need to have more of that dialogue, right? And that seems only obvious, but we shouldn't fear difference. We shouldn't fear uh, an idea that maybe someone doesn't quite understand. Well, let's call them in. Let's have those discussions. If, if parents and staff and, and our education system continues to leave out people, you're just creating violence. You're creating in a very systemic way. Agreed, agreed. And and especially with um, experiences like um, as Muslims or visible Muslims 
that experience or as a Jewish person with that belief, that experience, only you understand it really because of, of these are our identities. And when we see uh, negativity directed towards us, it, it affects our identity. And I will uh, recommend uh, this series on YouTube. It's called Uncomfortable Conversations mm. with the Black Man. And fantastic. And and he comes across it. People don't want to uh, know what you know. They want to know that you care, yeah. that you care. And the way that he presented himself to, uh, to, to, to folks from the Caucasian white community, again, there are blind spots. They don't necessarily understand common sense things that he was explaining uh, was was very profound. Just the simplicity of how he was explaining the experience of being a black person in in in, in North America, and in a similar way, you may you may or may not be aware of what we did with the Al Jamia uh, Mosque in Vancouver with Islam Unraveled and Temple Shalom and Congregation Beth Israel, Temple Beth Tikva. We did what we call an interfaith exchange because there there were. Uh, some members of the Jewish community had, that had never met Muslims and had never been to a mosque. And there are obviously many Muslims that have never met Jewish folks or, or at least never uh, had never been to a synagogue. And, and so by having that exchange where we came to the sanctuary, we sat for services uh, as neighbors and as friends, and then breaking bread afterwards and having a general Q&A and then having folks come to the mosque, joining the services. And, and I, that just simple act of just, hey, let's just see how everybody does their thing. And so there was some misconceptions from the Muslim community going in, and there's some misconceptions of the Jewish community coming into the mosque. But when we're together, we're just doing the human things of just talking, breaking bread, visiting one another. I believe that brought down kind of a lot of walls of misunderstanding and, and, and apprehension. And, and in a similar way with, with all communities to kind of bring people together. And, and again, back to that, uh, that uh, protest that you helped organize bringing, and it was everybody from every background, religion, color, came together in solidarity, together in person. I think that that is powerful, is getting people together in person. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And and I think, you know, I, I love the power of words, the idea of unraveling, right? What does that actually mean? And and this notion that, so I always welcome people, you know, read the, the Black Lives Matter manifestos, um, you know, you know, read the Quran, um, look at different realities, reach out to that. Uh, you know, the BC Community Alliance currently have a human rights case against the Vancouver School Board. You know, read what they're suggesting in terms of how we can strengthen anti-racism policies at the district level from a black perspective. Um, I think this is also important. And then after you sit, after you read, after you meet, after you attend, how do things change? How are you unraveling within yourself these notions of what you believe and why? And when I say blind spot, I don't mean to minimize the prejudice that creates that blind spot, right? It's just a, a visual to, to say, you know, why, you know, how that develops. And, and I'm also mindful that we understand our faith from, you know, from a certain perspective. I think what those that have more power, so again, I, I do this game with my students called the name game. We talk about uh, derogatory terms that are used in our, that we use, that others use, that our institutions use. And very simply, something becomes very clear that we elevate cis white males uh, above all else in our language. And this is from I've done this hundreds of times to thousands of people. 
mostly people of color, and yet we still have this reality. So what does that mean? We have given power, and this is very important, power and resources to a very specific group. And so they feel that when people say, you know, let me tell you about Islam, let me tell you why hijabs and halal meat and, you know, whatever you want to bring up, right? Or that as a Black person, I feel oppressed in, in our regular school system. They feel that somehow their power is going to be wrenched away from them. We have elevated the color of skin to such a level that to even use the word white is considered angry, is considered a violent act, when in fact, all it's doing is doing the exact same thing as looking at someone's identity and, and speaking about it. That's all. But we have long believed in this hierarchical, you know, caste-like system where, you know, we created this social construct of race and, and whiteness was put at the top of that and, and Christianity and, and Eurocentric ideas. So to unravel that is going to take a lot. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for the work that Islam Unraveled and so many other groups are doing because the burden is on, on those groups to do that work, which is not easy when you consider, you know, lived experience as well and, and what you have to face. Uh, I'm looking forward to when people that have that power and privilege also step up their game and, and start to unravel their own prejudices, their own biases, and the very real reality that the unequal power that we have in this world to somehow bring that to an equitable sense does not mean they lose power. It only means that more people have access to literally, you know, life, safety, security, right? Which again is, is very much part of the founding documents in, in terms of Canada, um, but it was written from a very different perspective. So I encourage people to go to these events to, to create your own. It's not hard to talk to a neighbor. It's not hard to literally go online and check, you know, or a YouTube channel that, that has a very interesting way of explaining something. Um, we should not fear going above and beyond. We should not fear looking at something different. It doesn't um, minimize what we believe. It only adds beautiful complexity uh, to it. Absolutely. And, and to show that, that we as human beings, first and foremost, we're all human beings. And, uh, and I think what's happening because of the way uh, online uh, aspects of our lives are, are taking so much of our attention and the algorithms are really feeding into our existing belief systems, our existing interests. So we're not really seeing uh, multifaceted, uh, multicultural and diverse opinions. We're just, the social media algorithms are based to keep us engaged. So what we're already interested in, so whether it's uh, from the Muslim component or, or let's say the white nationalists, their kind of media is just gonna reinforce their perceptions. And these extremists like Alexander Bissonnette in, 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 in Quebec that did the, mm. the shooting, yeah. Um, there, there, there were three commonalities. One was he was uh, bullied considerably, and, and that's not justifying anything. He was bullied yeah, yeah, considerably, yeah, 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 yeah. but but that was one aspect of his psyche. So, and that obviously uh, precipitated a, a mental health issue. Yeah. And then on that, on top of that, his uh, viewing habits online were were gearing towards Trump and and white nationalism, and it was it was it was kind of building up this psychology, and it was feeding it, feeding it, feeding it until it it erupted in an act of, of violence and murder, and and because of all these things, which the online world is now uh, reflecting in people's biases and hardening their beliefs, and racism is not going down, it's increasing. 
because the way these social media algorithms are, are reinforcing siloed biases and what have you. And I will say uh, things that touched me were when we were in, uh, after the, the Quebec shootings and after the New Zealand shootings, is people came to our mosque with cards, with flowers, with, uh, with tears in their eyes. And I, I thought to myself, wow, like in, in our time of worry, like sometimes when you're in your own community, you think, well, it, it just affects us. Uh, why would anybody else care to, to kind of come and, 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 and give us condolences? But they came by the thousands. And I realized the humanity, I think recognizing humanity, we're all human beings. We all have hearts. We all care for one another. And when we get together in, 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 in person, and we get to see one another, we come to each other's places, we respect each other. I think, I think that brings such community and, and power of community that, that I think the online world is dividing us so much and we're not interacting personally and it's creating such a disconnected that we're just okay well that race of people that religion of people they're all like this because that's what my online world is telling me and and so like you said it may be pulling weeds kind of doing these programs and how much change but somebody we have to do them we have to keep doing them because it's not like these things are going away they're they're increasing and so for the work that you're doing and we're doing to, to really just keep keep working towards positive change. Absolutely, and, and there's something very, you know, I always say when you look at the problem, flip it for the solution. And so to me, when I think about, you know, a lot of these kind of lone wolf attacks when it comes to, to domestic terrorism and, and white supremacy, and we know they're not like lone wolf in the sense of like one person acts, but, but obviously there's a much larger uh, reality to it. Um, a couple of things come to mind. Number one is that a lot of these movements believe in internalization. So, and especially that comes out of a patriarchal idea that somehow you shouldn't talk about your pain. You shouldn't express emotionality, that that is weak, that that is feminine, right? Um, in, in a negative way. And, and so number one to me is that then teach people how to speak to one another, how to talk about what they're going through in their personal lives. Um, of course, we know that there's any number of socioeconomic hardships that people across the whole spectrum of humanity face and that we need to actually address those issues. Or what about the reality that we live in these gender boxes that say if a man doesn't behave a very specific way, you know, he is unmanly. So we internalize, we internalize. And I noticed that in these white supremacy groups, they don't believe in reaching out. They don't believe in having discussions. So let's do the opposite, right? Uh, secondly, that in doing that outreach, we can operationalize our social media. So social media is not gonna go anywhere. It's only getting stronger and stronger. But what I tell my students is, who do you follow that's different from you? Do you, you know, can you find people that have maybe a different opinion? And I'm not saying that now you accept everything they say, but you listen and you, you think about what they're, you know, what they're focusing on. You know, why is it that certain people in TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, you know, speak to certain positions over and over again? Maybe this is something you don't know about. Um, and this all comes from this concept of intersectionality that an African-American woman by the name of Kimberly Crenshaw came up with in, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And that idea that we all have these multiple lived experiences that we need to think about. So we need to externalize a little bit more so that we can actually step out of these violent and painful moments. 
and by reaching out and by breaking through what is a very commodified model. You know, internet, it's about money, right? They're you know, social media is about money. But if you really break out of that mold of that algorithm, it's amazing what you can learn and who you can meet and, and find commonality with people. Cause you're right, it's about humanity. And, and whatever pain that man felt, I, undoubtedly many people felt that, but it had nothing to do with Islam. It had nothing to do with someone different than him. And, and I do think those counter narratives are very key that whenever someone says it's the other, that's the problem. You know, you don't have a job because of this. Uh, you know, you're unhappy because of this person that we should always say no to that always and think, no, you know, let's dive deeper. Let, you know, let's really talk about what's actually going on here. So to me, I always see it as very much a multiple approach and our, our indigenous, uh, sorry, uh, indigenous nations know this best and their ways of knowing look to nature. And I always think about bee colonies. Our bee colonies are dying and are, and are very much, you know, putting in peril our food security around the world because they lack access to nutritious, diverse food. Why? Because we've turned to cash crops. We, we believe in just making the most money possible. And so over time, our agricultural industries have focused on a, on a very few um, uh, variants of, of crops. So, but what bees need to, to you know, literally, because they're the ones who very much, uh, you know, propagate food systems, is that they need the most diverse diet possible. So if in nature, the most healthy ecosystem is a diverse one, from our oceans to our forests to, to the air to everywhere, then why isn't diversity the key for humanity? Why isn't diversity the key to the safest, healthiest, most productive uh, form of, of our human lives? Um, and so I always say, like when people say the opposite, that is truly the most unnatural way. And for those of us that do believe in the omnipotence of God, that, well, then God, and, and you know, and I'm, you can be atheist, whatever, no judgment. But the reality is that for those of us that do believe that omnipotence means that it supports that diversity in every way, shape and form. And, and I do think that's a way that that faith is very powerful because it can provide us with those ideas. And, 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 and yes, the belief in nature, that's faith. Um, you know, no matter what you might call the God or gods that you follow. Absolutely. And, and I know where, and this leads exactly into what you and I were going to discuss offline is the United Nations Day on March 21st for the elimination of racial discrimination. And so this fabric of humanity, black, brown, white, yellow, all the colors uh, that, that represent humanity. And, and again, uh, racial discrimination, uh, just by the color of the skin, uh, like you were talking about white passing or, or whatever the case may be and people mistaking certain races for other people. But the reality is uh, the first thing people see is uh, skin tone, color. And, and there's whole industries about skin whitening uh, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> kind of creams yep. and what have you. Yep. And, uh, and so for this event, uh, I know we're, we're in our planning stages, but the vision being um, how all races and, and our First Nations people, our, our, our African brothers and sisters, our, our, uh, uh, our, our Asian uh, community, how uh, all of us can come together to celebrate each other because it's by race and by color is really how we first 
perceive each other. That's the first thing before religion. Anything else is is that 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 first perception of oh, who is this person based on their appearance? And so uh, I think leading up to this uh, this uh, planned event, I think it'll be an interesting kind of thing offline where we can strategize how we can effectively represent everybody in the best way forward because we are at this fabric of humanity and, and really to live in such a country as Canada, uh, to do this work that we're doing uh, in other countries, we can do it. And yeah. so grateful to be in this country. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 very I very much look forward to that. It's gonna be incredible. Um, and yet here I am, right? And I was born in Montreal. I am Canadian by origin. And, and um, I, I do, I think that's a privilege that we need to use and, and that we can make things better. That, that we absolutely have issues here at home that we can focus on, we can work on, right? That this is not, but, but the fact that I know just how much ability I have to do that compared to where it would be elsewhere. Uh, secondly, to me, my big belief, something that I've developed over time and, and many others do this work as well. Part of my pedagogy is mentorship through identity. When you look at someone and because we live in these structures of race and, and skin color, that the, your first thought should be a positive one, that you want to know more, that you don't denigrate based on skin color. Because at the end of the day, to me, one of the most frightening things about the concept of whiteness is that it, erate, it, sorry, it erases the realities of the Scottish, of the different types of Irish folks that some have gone massive oppression under you know, the British empire, just like others have. You know, when you look at the multiplicity of, of, of experiences in Europe, um, you know, again, this is very much just a biological DNA thing. You know, I, I'm white passing, but I have family members that, that are as dark as someone that comes out of, of India or Pakistan or, you know, many nations of Africa. Um, like this is something that should not define us in a negative way. So, so to me, it's always about that mentorship through identity. Uh, I want people that, that are of white skin tone to find their roots to understand the beauty of their cultures and to understand that no culture should dominate any other culture. That's the bottom line. How do we move, how do we remove oppression from identity? And if we can do that, then there is no playing any race card. There is no sense of somehow that someone, uh, again, it's, it's really, I don't even wanna say the language, but when, when certain conservative groups bring up this notion that identity is problematic, but scream about, you know, the war on Christmas. I, I just, I don't understand it because they're missing the entire point. And that is that whether you celebrate Christmas or Eid or Hanukkah or, or whatever faith, you know, Diwali, at the end of the day, what you're doing is celebrating your own roots. Those roots at the very basic human form have nothing to do with power, privilege, and resource. Uh, it's meant to celebrate, you know, the uniqueness that is yourself and your community. Uh, and so I hope that March you know, 21st, we, we can really delve into that. And, and really within Canada, within all around our world, because it is an international day, how do we reframe things? So yes, we can fly that Canadian flag, but we don't focus on this nationalism or patriotism that, that um, forms this opinion that somehow you have to be white, non-hijab wearing, uh, you know, you, you have to have all these certain precepts to be Canadian when that is in fact the opposite of what the hope of Canada, you know, can be, right? And of course, to note, I have to mention that within the indigenous context, that decolonization will make us better. Um, that, that going away from notions of, 
of this you know colonial entity is a good thing because so many of us actually within islam within judaism within many forms of christianity buddhism hinduism sikhism do come from colonized nations and unfortunately many of us have escaped those colonial notions um, and i think that's something we can also focus on because it, it is something that we don't talk enough about absolutely and annie Thank you again for taking your time out on a Sunday in your classroom for, for this purpose. I know, as you said, uh, uh, that this work is ongoing, it's continuous. And uh, thank you again for joining us and, uh, and sharing us your, your expertise, your experience, your care, your concern. And we really appreciate it. And thank you to Islam Unraveled for all the work you do. And I think all of us are blessed. I, I work in what I love. And I wish that for everybody, right? That you work and you spend your time doing things on things you love and that you're not forced to do. So thank you so much for all your work and, and I can't wait to, to collaborate further. Thank you, Annie, appreciate right. it.